And if they're at all happy where they are and what they've become, from selling out to doubling down, let's talk punk rock business and what happens when the two get all mixed up. Here is your host, Bill Florio. Hey, this is Bill Florio. Yo, this is MC Charlie Boswell. Hey, it's Dave Harrison. Okay, today's podcast is a little bit weird because we originally recorded it as a demo. We were just trying to see if this would actually work. And the guest is Sue Warner, who is the bass player in War on Women. So this is kind of like when Ozzy redid all of his early albums with an entire different band. Yeah, kind of. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Except it's the same band. It's the same group. I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how much magic Jesse can work and Brian can work to, <laughs> to make our mics sound equally <laughs> shitty from the first time to the new time. See, this is what they do nowadays. All these movies today, they shift time and all this stuff. That's what people do. So it's like, it's like <laughs> memento. It's all in the editing. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, you know, Sue and I have been friends forever. We were both in the Shemps for a while. So it's, it's, there's another layer of like, we probably started talking about things and it doesn't make any sense to anybody. So sorry, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> I'll survive. Those are my favorite parts where I think all of us at some point during this episode were like, what is she talking about? <laughs> Like she got so so in depth about computer stuff and everything that we would just be like, "What? I, I have no idea what you're saying." Yeah, I mean, Sue's a, a computer developer for scientists, so it gets really deep and really nerdy really fast. And Sue's really good at that. Someone pointed out to me, I mean, a long time ago, like when Sue starts getting into the mode, her voice actually changes, and she starts talking more like a comic book person, <laughs> um, which is awesome. The stuff that wasn't about work was nerdy too, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to bring this up just so Jesse can't cut it. There's a great story about a Steely Dan guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did we record yeah. that? Yeah, that was part of the recording. Uh, we'll see. Uh, yeah, huh? <laughs> Never know when Steely Dan's going to end up on the cutting room floor when I'm involved. Uh. <laughs> This is the only guest I think we're going to have that's been slipped to Mickey as well. So let's roll the tape. <laughs> it's real in those years. <laughs> I don't want to do this dirty work. <laughs> <laughs> No more. All right, let's start this off. So, Sue, how we usually start this is please introduce yourself and what you do for a living. I'm Sue Werner, and I am a hmm, senior programmer analyst for Johns Hopkins Physics and Astronomy Institute for Data Intensive Engineering and Science. Which means that I do databases all day. You said you said senior like you got promoted recently. Is that right? No, I just forgot my job title. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was supposed to I was actually supposed to get promoted, but like uh, Hopkins, but then COVID happened, and they have like it's like a complete hiring freeze, and nobody gets a raise. So oh well, some stuff like um, analyzing GPS data of bus routes in Baltimore to like 
you know, see whether, you know, it, it affects like uh, kids going to school, being late to school and stuff. I don't know. So they're like, so, oh, wait, 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 like <laughs> a sunspot or something is going to make kids late for school on their bus. Yeah. Does a, does a, does a telescope point it at the buses? <laughs> Oh, so yeah, the the tele. Uh, sorry, like I I tell everybody that I work on like telescope data just because it's easier. But really, I work on just like a lot of different science data. If there's like a lot of science data, I probably know how how to like make a database to hold it and make it go fast. So how many how many actual databases do you manage? Oh my, hunt uh, hundreds. Um, yeah, I would say I would say in the hundreds. Yeah, definitely. Do you like, have to like maintain each one individually, like? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, sometimes no. I mean, uh, yeah, sometimes a lot of them don't really like need a lot of management because they're they're kind of like um, read only. Like we load a shitload of data into them, and then just never like add any more you know it's like the they'll do this like big simulation or you know the telescope will like look at the sky for three years right and then and then we'll get the data you know that's how it mostly works right and that's actually not that hard oh like all you like once you like design the thing and and you know load the data then you're good to go whatever right uh, but when you actually have to like update the data, like add new stuff, that's when it gets complicated. And I've only worked on re one really, really big thing that does that, and that is called PanStars. And uh, it's a it's a telescope in Hawaii, and uh, it was like the biggest digital camera in the world at the time. I don't know if it's probably still not. Probably like your iPhone. 12 is a better digital camera now but i saw it and like the shutter of the camera like you could fit 16 pineapples in it like a grid of four by four pineapples do you use, do you use pineapple as a measurement because it's in, in, in hawaii we do that's the local standard yeah <laughs> yeah are you sure it wasn't a tomato or a coconut? No, 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 no. I mean, they're different units of measurement: coconuts and and pineapples. <laughs> but um, you know, m mahalo and stuff. But uh, <laughs> like the the, the Panstars was definitely like the most complicated one I had to do, and it was also weird because it was the very first thing I worked on, and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> so still active today, though, and it's still it's still collecting data. Yeah, I think that the survey is actually over, but uh, after I finished it, and it. It continued like running for like at least I think there was like three years I think left in the survey by the time I was done building it and stuff. And it, you know, they would call me if like there was like a serious thing that they couldn't figure out. But it worked on its own as far as as far as I know. <laughs> I, I mean, the survey completed and it was successful. So you, you didn't get to go to Hawaii, or you did? I did. I did. I did. I got to go a couple times. Um, they actually wanted me to move there. You know. Uh, in like in in like 2010 or something, and so I was, you know, and I thought about it, moving to Hawaii. That sounds cool, right? But then I was like, wait a minute, what would it really mean to move to Hawaii? Okay, like I better love doing shit outside. Okay, like you know, not just like it. I better love it because there's nothing else to fucking do, right? <laughs> like there's like <laughs> like oh, what do I like to do? Go see bands. Go see like you know like weird movies. Like, guess what? You're not doing any of that in Hawaii, you know? <laughs> I work on this weird, um, I don't know, fluid dynamics stuff called turbulence, and I'm not really exactly sure what it is. I've been working on it for 10 years, and there's a lot of papers that get written about it. It's uh, People use it to figure out how the weather works and stuff like that, and like aerospace stuff. A lot of the stuff I work on, I have no idea what it actually 
what it actually is, like what kinds of stuff people are actually doing with it. So is there someone that does know? Because that's always really interesting to me when you talk about, you know, you're answering these previously unanswerable questions or somehow getting your hands around data that that would not be possible to understand and comprehend without computers. Is there ever part of you that just goes to work and goes, I don't know if, if what we're doing is right or if this is just like completely BS and we are just, we're either using an algorithm or we're, go, we're going through a process that's completely off and we're just trusting these computers to do that? Well, that's a really good question, actually. And you guys have to understand, I didn't understand this. You know, I've done computer stuff for my, my real person job pretty much forever. I literally ha- have no other skills. <laughs> Working in like research computing, this was my first. This is like my first time around with that. Okay, and um, it's a lot. A lot of the people doing science, like they just don't understand like how to make it work like good computer software. You know what I mean? Like there's stuff that you like learn in computer science school that they don't teach you in astronomy school. They teach you how to like you know write like basic stuff that like works on a small amount of data, but a large amount of data it falls over and dies. Right. The thing is, like I know how to like write decent software allegedly but like i have no idea like the questions these people are trying to answer these two worlds were like really 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 separate for a really long time Uh, the military was like one place where i guess that stuff crossed over we developed this thing at my job which we call it the 20 questions or the 20 queries basically like in like plain english or whatever can you like describe like 20 answers you want to get out of this data set Right. And that helps me understand what they're trying to do and like what stuff is important to them. So I can try to like design something that's informed by like how it's actually going to be used. A lot of people like make assumptions about that stuff. And this large science data is so far out of the realm of my understanding that like I have to literally ask, you know. So maybe that answers your question. <laughs> but it sounds like there's some things they don't want you to know what they're doing. You said there's been eight years been working on something that you have you really don't even know what it's doing. I know that people go to this web service and like they put in some point. They can get back the pressure or the velocity in three dimensions. You know what I mean? And then you can do that same query for thousands of points. And you can use different algorithms to get a different pressure gradient or something across these boundaries. You know what I mean? I know what they're doing. You don't know what it means to the rest of the world yeah like why it's important i really don't know it's not like they're hiding it from me it's that like i don't necessarily talk to them about different indexing strategies for database tables because it's not important to them that sounds like being like a sound guy almost like you know how to make a band sound the way that they want to sound that doesn't mean that necessarily you have any say in what they sound like yeah exactly that's actually like a really really good analogy because it's really up to them like i really don't care what kind of science they do. It's very much like beyond my realm of even understanding a lot of the time. Basically, I've had to sort of like, I have like maybe like a half of a undergrad understanding of astronomy now just because I worked in it and I understand the types of problems people like to solve. So I know that these certain coordinates will always be important. 1,000 numbers that this point will generate, I know that these five are the really important ones. Just like, you know, you might be like, I don't know, you have a basic understanding that like the kick drum and the snare drum should probably be loud but you know how to dance yeah <laughs> maybe they want that weird don fury snare drum sound yeah. <laughs> that, that sounds pretty fast to that end do you work on projects have you worked on long-term projects that you're like you figure out what they're actually 
looking to find out and you're like, that's fucking stupid. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, what about the opposite? Do you ever feel like they're doing working on something and you're like, this is going to change the world? Sometimes I remember like working on this one simulation. I guess it was called the Millennium Simulation. Basically, it's like cosmology, right, is the kind of science. And cosmology is kind of like they're studying like what happens like around the Big Bang. Like how do like universes form, right? Apparently, there's a way to simulate that with computers and there's lots of different ways and people are trying to do new ones all the time and I was working on one and and I'm like working with like one of the grad students and he's and I'm like okay so how many like terabytes uh, do you think this will be and he's like well we have uh, 10 billion particles which is about one tenth of the observable universe so that means like each particle is basically the size of our galaxy right and we've got 10 billion of them and i was like what wait a second that's what this stuff is that's what this stuff is representing it kind of blew my mind that like we are able to like model stuff on that gigantic of a scale when i think of particle i think of you know something real small not like something the size of our galaxy (laughs) on the scale of the universe that these simulations are trying to model like that's what it is it's holy shit right does it make the technology seem completely inadequate then? Ugh. I have to say that the that some of the like absolute genius people that work on this stuff, I'm a smart person, I'm an intelligent person, but there's a there's like a level like beyond <laughs> what I can comprehend. I think there reaches a point with this astrophysics stuff that it it like ceases to be like, you know, you can't like teach a dog calculus, can't teach me astrophysics. So let's take a step back. So when you went to school, did you know you went to Rutgers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you started school, you got out of high school, did you know what you wanted to do? And how different is that from what you're doing now? Well, it's funny, because I always loved science like so much as a kid right? Like it was like my favorite subject. And I would just like read science books all the time for fun, like get them out of the library. And I love science. I, I, well, I wanted to be a scientist. Like when I grew up, I didn't know like what that really meant, you know, but um, man, my like eighth grade science teacher really, I don't know, he really didn't like me. Probably, I think I, I think it's because I never did my homework ever. Okay. But I always got A's on tests. Right. And uh, look, dude, I, I, I like loved this. I love science. I, I took, would take the textbook home on like the first day of school and like read the entire thing. <laughs> like, you know, and, so why and, would you do your homework? Why would yeah. I not do my homework? Oh, you already well, did it. Yeah. But I didn't like do the worksheet. You well, know, you got an A on the test. what the hell do they want? Yeah. yeah, no, seriously. I know. I know. He I, had was, but, that, I had a teacher that was like that pre-calculus in high school and she, she did the same thing, but then she got her comeuppance. When her oh, uh, yeah? fiance came in and punched Frank McCourt in the nose. <laughs> what? That, that was a really good day. Did you say Beyonce came in? No, no. her fiance. <laughs> I wish I, I don't. I don't. I would love to see Beyonce and Frank McCourt get into a fight. Maybe Malachi McCourt. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! The dude from Angela's Ashes. That's yeah. the one. And Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was always, always, always flirting with Miss Schimmel between classes because their rooms were opposite each other on the floor. And then one day I'm walking around the corner and there's huge commotion. And I see Miss Schimmel running out of her room screaming, ah, I run down the staircase and Frank McCord is holding his face. And I missed it for like 10 seconds. Her boyfriend punched him in the nose. <laughs> This is the, I was just so happy. I'm just saying that New York City education system, these are the possibilities. <laughs> these are the kinds of things that you could experience <laughs> if we really invest God. in better education for everybody. Nothing like that ever happened in North Brunswick, I'll tell you that. <laughs> 
No one, no one won a Pulitzer. None of your features. <laughs> no, oh my God. Ugh. Anyway, I'm I'm really glad that I finally got off Facebook, so I don't just see about their boring ass lives anymore. <laughs> so, so wait. Did, so, let's talk about this. Fourteen Nobel. Did you have fourteen Nobel Prize winners in North Brunswick? Uh. No, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I would, I would, I would hazard to say my guess. It would be no. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So this teacher, right? My mom knew I had a problem with him, but my mom didn't know that he would ruin my life by not recommending me for biology when I like for the next year, like first year of high school, right? Instead, I got put in the stupid science class where you learned earth science. Is that what earth was? science? Earth science, where yeah. people don't even know how many planets are in the solar system and stuff. And uh, man, and it was like he just did it to purely punish me. And it, it I was like, well, I guess I give up on this forever, you know. <laughs> as you do why did you fight it oh i i did and my mom did too yeah and the guidance counselor was like can you know like even talk to the teacher and the teacher was like nope even though i like I, there was like a standardized science test and i got the yeah. highest score in the entire grade if you got the highest score in a standardized test you should be put in the top class yeah i know but you know it didn't Unfortunately, worked that way. <laughs> so, Did it really ruin your life, or do you feel like you've turned this around? I know uh, I've turned. I've turned <laughs> yeah, I've, I've 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 turned it around. You know, and like, there's probably no guarantee I would have done my homework in biology class either. And like, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> I, 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 I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to like just like skirt, like skirt by by you know by like just shit that I you know it, there 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 comes a point in time where you actually have to like learn how to do the work. Right, and, got a ninety-nine uh, on the region. Yeah, well, but like you know, I, I, you still need to like learn how to like do the math and stuff, you know, and uh, yeah. There are no um no Pulitzer or Nobel Prize winners from North Brunswick, but Glenn Burtnick, formerly of the band Sticks, is from North Brunswick. Oh yeah 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 yeah, I know him. <laughs> I bet he's got a sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> so his son used to sit in front of me in front of me on the bus actually and my um my aunt used to date him oh wow wow yeah. <laughs> i i went to school with eric bloom from blue oyster cult's son and he used to he used to be around all the time he watched my band play at the battle of the bands and we, he wouldn't play don't fear the reaper with us <laughs> <laughs> wow Glenn Burton, he just like lived in like a regular house. You know what I mean? He wasn't like rich, obviously, or anything. Was your dude like a rich, a rich dude? Kind of the same way. Yeah. He lived down the street from my friend Sam. And I mean, like, you know, I went to high school in Port Washington, which is, you know, out on Long Island. It's not, we weren't, we didn't live in like a rich right. area, but it was like, you know, Port middle class. It, he seemed to be doing pretty well. Um, you know, but like, not like, yeah, he didn't live in like a gated mansion or anything. He lived in like a, a suburb, right. like in a suburb. Right, right down the street from the Miracle Mile. Yeah. Yes, but not that area. I didn't. Li I didn't live. I didn't live right by oh, the Miracle Mile. Two blocks from the Miracle Mile. No, I lived. I lived like probably five miles. That's in. Manhattan, Should I know definitely. what the Miracle Mile is? Um, I think Billy Joel wrote a song Jewel? about it. It's a big shopping area. Or Billy Joel. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jewel, Beyonce. What's going on? <laughs> No, it's Miracle Mile is the it's like the highest real estate luxury shopping area and it's on Long Island um on Northern Boulevard and it's uh other than I think uh, <laughs> not where you buy the used vans. You know <laughs> no, why no. they call it the Miracle yeah. Mile? Because they had all these great stores in Manhattan and then they moved one out to Long Island and they were like, "Oh, it's a miracle they moved it out here." <laughs> <laughs>
The only celebrity at my high school when I went there was Chi Ali. He's a uh, he was around. He was popular for like three weeks. Yeah, well, he he. I think he sings. He's like a guest on a Black Sheep song, and he dropped out, and then he ended up on America's Most Wanted. He like killed some. He killed someone for like two hundred bucks or something. Probably his age. Uh, what, what did you yeah. play in marching band? So I first I started out playing um, Barry Sax, like the the real big one, and it was cool. But I got tired of it because it was really heavy, <laughs> and and I was like, I don't want to march with this no more. I'm going to quit band. And he's like, Well, we need we need someone to play percussion to play drums. And I was like, Oh, I'll do that. So. <laughs> Just, so that's so basically I, I I played like um xylophone and vibes and bells and just uh, traps a bunch of uh, timpani a bunch of random drum stuff and and the best part of that was I didn't have to march I got to stand by the sidelines that ruled that's exactly my role in the Kung Fu Monkeys <laughs> after that did you become a mathlete no so here's the thing Charlie I didn't get good at math until I failed my first test in calc one and i was like fuck i gotta get my shit together you know what got you the limits that stuff so the thing is i would after the, this whole science thing like went out the window i was like fuck it fuck math i don't need to know this shit i'm terrible at it anyway turns out i'm not terrible at math but i am terrible at adding and subtracting and multiplying and dividing you could blame that a lack of fundamentals in the elementary schools, Katie. Yeah. Or just like my brain. I don't know. Like, I'm just like bad at like doing math in my head, though. Flash like, on. you know, like, like computation in my head. But it turns out when there's like no fucking numbers in the math problem anymore, <laughs> I'm like really good at it. So, I mean, as a database person, it's most, is it mostly Boolean logic? Yeah. 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 That's, that's fun. Yeah. No, it's totally fun. Oh, I, I, I don't fucking know. I think databases are so, so much fun because it's like the, all the answers are there. You know, you know, it, you just got to ask the right question, you know? Yeah. And sometimes like, it's really complicated to, you know, but, but you can like work on it iteratively. You know what I mean? You can be like, let's try this thing. Let's try this thing, you know? And uh, I don't know. I, I find that like very satisfying intellectually. <laughs> I, unfortunately, I don't get to like do that kind of stuff as much as I want to right now, just because uh, I am working a lot on uh, like I somehow like became an expert on like building like data pipelines, which is you know we're basically like taking data. You know the term is like ETL, extract, transform, load, right? It's like how you get shit you know from different systems into the same system so is that the formal explanation yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did etl for like four years yeah. <laughs> and, and almost just that yeah you required uh high school students to take bullying algebra um i you know like i th I'm, I'm wondering whether they like taught anything like that in my high school i really don't like i i took like two computer classes but like and we learned like pascal but it was really just like learn we didn't like learn like logic stuff you know like when my daughter my daughter was required to take two semesters of digital electronics in high school that's awesome oh my god i'm so jealous yeah i think i mean i think i think kids are smarter nowadays so it's easier for them too <laughs> yeah like it's either the kids are smarter or the teachers are stupider Probably both, but that's our fault, I guess. <laughs> they're saying they're more they're more socially awkward because they don't know they don't learn how to relate to people at all. Yeah, but then they're smart. That probably helps them be smarter. <laughs> at least in this context, right? I blame vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh no. <laughs> so right, so, so you did get into computers though, and it wasn't from school. 
No, right? no, no, not at all. Uh, my entire goal in life as a child, um, <laughs> actually, it kind of still is my entire goal. In life. I love video games. Okay, I love them, and uh, ever since I first saw a video game, I, you know, as a as a as a young child, I was like, I must play these. Okay. Uh, but we didn't have like an Atari. We didn't have a computer. We didn't have anything um, until my uncle was throwing away a Radio Shack TRS-80 color computer. Color computer? Yeah, the Coco. I had a Model 1. That's, that's the one you plug into your television. It doesn't come with one like built in. That- yeah, you, you had to plug it into your TV. It didn't have any kind of storage. Like we, I, like you could hook up like a cassette, cassette tape, but I didn't even have, we didn't even have that. How could you load a program without the cassette tape? Oh, I'll tell you how. <laughs> <laughs> you were typing your program in every time? Yep. Yeah, my parents got me a book about how to program in base. I was like seven, right? Okay, fine. I want to play a game. I want to make a dot go on the screen. How do I do it? You know, like, you know, so I would type for like three hours and then like play blackjack. And you have to edit it. <laughs> you know, like most seven-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, you'd run the program and get all the like errors and stuff and have to troubleshoot yep. all that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Are you typing errors? Yes, and it was... I have so much patience when I was younger. I guess because there was just, like, not that much to do, <laughs> you know? But the beauty, I don't think people listening understand this, is you typed this whole program in, and you were able to run it, but when you shut that computer off, it's it gone. was gone. It's gone. And you had to and do it again. Typed, you spent three hours mm-hmm. typing that in, and you couldn't even save it. And they didn't yep. have eBay, where you could have bought that cassette player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think her parents could have bought her a cassette player at Radio Shack. That's absolutely true, but <laughs> guess what? And they would have been able to save all those programs you taped out on, on cassette. Well, here's, was- a, here's the thing. So I feel like you have a thing where you don't advocate for yourself, and it started right here with that TRS-80. <laughs> I, you might be right about that, Bill. But, you know, <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I do really feel like it was kind of – okay. I feel like – you know how like you're supposed to be better at learning languages when you're younger? I think that like literally just having to like learn basic, you know, like and learn what a loop was, right? And learn what a variable was and like, you know, all this all this shit. Like it it taught me like the the basic language behind computer languages, you know? Like the concepts and it, I felt like it made it I, I don't know if this is really true. I felt like it made it easier for me to pick up, you know, programming again when I when it, it yeah. absolutely does I've like trained people on it I think it's great that you did that but I mean I think they could have you could have at least saved it <laughs> 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 to the next program oh Charlie. see like me you know I mean I had Tira Sadie and I had the cassette but we also had stringy floppy do you know what that is no what's stringy no. floppy stringy floppy was a little miniature tape that went loaded fat like 10 times faster than a cassette tape. Really? It was Radio Shack proprietary here? No, no, no. It wasn't Radio Shack, but it was, I might have, I'm sure it was proprietary to a TRS 80, but I mean, they might have made different interfaces, but it was uh, about, the, t- the tapes were small. They were maybe like an inch by three quarter inch. Huh. And it was like fast. Yeah. Were they like the fun. little ones you used to put in your like little voice recorder no. thingy? No, no, no. Those were like mini cassettes. Right. This was, it was tape, but it had a really thin tape. It wasn't as big as a cassette tape size, and it was, uh, and it was, it was. So, so you, it's a, called a stringy floppy. I'm going to write that stringy, down. Stringy, I want to look that up. 
Uh, Sue's going to go buy a new one now and yeah. or, you know, use one and put this together. Use, I don't oh, think you true. can find Are a new stringy yeah. phone. No. <laughs> Are there people that, that get into like retro computer programming and playing around? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I don't know if that was a thing or not. I feel like I would have been much more into computers as a kid, but I watched Superman 3 way too young. And when that woman turned into a cyborg because she gets like melted <laughs> with the computer, she scares the shit out of I just couldn't get into computers after that. I heard, I heard that. I heard that happened to Elon Musk. <laughs> and that's why you've got puts on Tesla. I have, I have, I have a confession. So my first computer was the ColecoVision. No, Adam. that's awesome. It's, it's like the worst computer in computer history, I believe. Didn't it have? Didn't it have one of those like keyboards that just was like flat? It, it didn't have keys. No, the keyboard was fine. It, it came with a, a Daisy Wheel printer, and it was like so backwards. It's basically like you can put it into typewriter mode. <laughs> Easy wheel printer. That's pretty advanced. I know. I mean, it was. It seemed like a well, good. I, deal. I had to get a printer for my computer. We had to buy like a hacked uh, IBM electric typewriter that was hacked. In- no shit, really. Oh, wow. wow, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and it was loud. Yeah. You know, apartment. When you ran that man, the apartment. The neighbors were complaining. Uh- <laughs> it was like. I went to Rutgers. I was a history major, right? I didn't do anything with computers or science. I was an arts and letters person, man. I was taking these computer science classes, though, because I had to do something for my math requirement at Rutgers. And it turns out that, like, I knew a lot of it from back when I was younger. I think, you know, since I learned this computer language at a young age, it kind of, like, made me get good at learning languages. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. So I I remembered, like, all these concepts of computers, and I was, like, really good at the computer classes I was taking, the intro of computer science classes. And my dad told me that I could go to school for five years if I would double major in history and computer science. And of course, I did that because there's nothing better than another year of college, as far as I was concerned. I had no idea that like my life would lead back to science in some way. I thought it would lead to dot-com millionairehood. <laughs> but that's not how it worked out. I did dot-com stuff, and then I got into working at universities, and then somehow I have no idea. Like I, I wanted to move to Baltimore. I applied for literally every single job at Johns Hopkins, and and this one hired me and it turned out to like be kind of freaking awesome. I have a quote from a friend of yours. I wrote like, Sue's probably worth two to three times what they pay her. She doesn't only have developer skills, but it's almost impossible to find someone in this day and age as the ability to connect with people that most technical project managers lack. I imagine that she gets just excited about writing code and solving problems as like playing bass on stage. Do you feel that's accurate? I kind of do. Bill, you know, I did this stuff for fun for ages. I remember like you gave me like a copy of like Windows ND. (laughs) 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 And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) It is weird. I know that I think that if I like wanted to like have a, a career doing this computer shit, it wouldn't be as a coder. I think you're right. I think that I do have like a weird thing, which is I'm able to speak to other humans, <laughs> which a lot of really, really good coders seem to lack. But I would have to like devote my life to a job if I were to go down that route. You know what I'm saying? Like it would be like a project manager type of thing, right? Oh God, the word manager like makes me terrified. <laughs> I don't want to like be in charge of anything. I am totally happy to, to like f- solve fun problems and then leave for three months and play bass in a band. Do you think that is like the 
kind of punk rock, like lack of self-worth and perception of your own value kind of thing? I mean, like where like you don't want to be a manager because you don't feel like you're worth it? Or is it like, how does that play into your thinking when it comes to work? That's actually a really good question. The um, not wanting to talk about money thing is huge. As somebody who is in DIY, discussing getting paid for shows and stuff like that, at least at the level that I was at from when I started playing until the early 2000s when I went on hiatus, right? It would be cool to get, like, ass money and stuff, you know? And, like, it was considered weird to, like, ask for money. I've never been able to, like, ask for money, like, in any (laughs) context. I don't want more money. I want more flexibility. I want more, like, freedom to, like, leave for a couple months at a time and go on tour, you know? If I didn't have this band, I guess I would, like, perhaps try to succeed in a career. I've never felt like I, like, have had, like, buddies in my work life like I do in punk and stuff like that and I kind of feel like I need a buddy collaborators or something like that you know what I mean I suppose one could be able to find something like that in like a startup type experience but I'm like 42 dude I can't like do that now I think there's something there's conceptions about being a software developer there's some level of bro culture sometimes there's some other level it's very seen as chauvinistic is there, is there a fear there of even going further I feel like my experience is a little bit different just because I've been out of the private sector. I haven't been in there for a long time. I've worked at Hopkins for like 10 years. And before that, I worked at another university for five or six years. I would say like my like software jobs that I worked for companies, there was really only like one real one. Like the all the other ones were like freelancey things. My very first job out of college, which was like the company thing, you know, the company software company in the office with the video games and the foosball and the, you know, whatever the fuck. What video games? What video game? Um, oh, they yo, they had a they had a Dreamcast. It was dope. Like they had a whole room. You know, they used to have asteroids at WFMU. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Yeah, Charlie, your mic sucks. Yeah, I, the other mic wasn't working. So. It was working fine before. Are you going to ask her about Chiller? No, I was talking about that asteroids game at the WFMU studio. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever played that? So you ever play the Asteroids games at the FMU? I mean, I imagine so because I've been there and I'm, it's pretty rare that I don't like... It's 10 games for a quarter. Is it the, like the original like Vector Asteroid? Uh, so you get 10 games for a quarter. 10 games for a quarter. You can't afford not to play it. Did you ever play Chiller on Times Square? You mean the, the arcade that burned down in like 1987? Yes, that's the one. <laughs> I'll talk for Charlie. Have you ever heard of the game Chiller? No, I don't know. Man, I mean, I know a lot of video games. You might recognize it by sight. It is a shooting gallery game where you shoot people who are chained to a wall (laughs) (laughs) and wearing, like, bondage gear. You're kidding. That sounds amazing. (laughs) One time, me and Sander were in Times Square playing Chiller, and we saw these two heavy metal girls in the arcade, and we said we're going to ask them to go get milkshakes at Hojo's, but we didn't have enough money between us to afford it. <laughs> I, I got about a third of that. I think there was like... And that's why you need to get a job. That's what I told Sandra. <laughs> and you not have enough money, right? That's a secret of life right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not having enough money. Coincidentally, coincidentally, Sandra works on uh, supercomputers for Columbia now. Charlie, I, I think you're yelling at the computer. I think yeah, that if, maybe I, if you talk I, lower, it'll work. Yeah, if you talk, if, Charlie, if you talk more quietly, it's a lot easier to understand. That's difficult. But I was saying that... Uh, Coincidentally, Sander works on supercomputers for Columbia. Oh, wait, who does? Sander, the guy that I was playing Chiller with at Times Square. Okay, on um, he's on the mainframe. Yeah. 
<laughs> at Columbia. That's some pretty high level access. <laughs> yep. <laughs> What's his UID? <laughs> Sue, but get, getting back to your buddy thing. So you're saying you don't interact with enough other people doing what you do. Dude, you wouldn't recognize me at my job. I barely talk at my work. Like, I love it when I am working like with someone on something. That's when I get my best shit done. It's kind of like motivating and energizing to like be frustrated by the same goddamn fucking API with bad documentation. That's not really how it works at my job sometimes. I don't know. I've never really had that and I really like want it. <laughs> Do you ever run into, you know how you have that thing when you see someone else that like, you know, they're into just weird shit. Like, you know, they're like a punk person or like at mm-hmm. least like they're into something else that's beyond the norm like do you ever have those like knowing nods with people that you work with like have you there was one guy okay and he worked with us for like maybe a month i knew he was cool like he was cool remember that man like i want to say bridge and tunnel from um long island <laughs> or whatever right i was wearing like one of their t-shirts and it had like a tube amp diagram on it Right. And he was like, Oh, I know what that is. You know what I mean? And he's like, Oh, yeah, that's like KT88 or whatever the hell. And I'm like, And I was like, Yeah, it's this band. He's like, Oh, yeah. You know, and then we just like, he wasn't like a punk person, but like he was like, had, I don't know, way more like in that world than most other people I come into contact with through my job. So he just had that vibe that like, He'd be cool to talk to. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, he was into, like, music and stuff, but I've almost never had anybody, like, meet anybody that's into punk and or anything, you know, anything like that through my job, which is, which is a little... Some people probably know you're in a band. Do you have that exasperated, oh, shit moment when someone's like, oh, so, Sue, tell us about your band? You know, like, do you, do you ever run into that? Oh, well, I feel weird, like, talking about it sometimes, but I also, like, don't have any other hobbies. So, like, I don't know, like, when people are, like, talking about about what they they know that I went on tour and they ask me about it you know and I tell them and then their eyes glaze over <laughs> <laughs> so we played a show like last last year in Australia with some bands that people actually had heard of like Judas Priest and Slayer and Alice in Chains so like people were like okay like the older people like like, <laughs> like had heard of, had heard of them do you find yourself trying to validate your band by saying oh well, we've played even if you, if you don't give a shit about judas priest but like being able to say like oh yeah well of course. i need to validate of my course I do. what i spend my time of doing I, do. I want them to think i'm cool <laughs> <laughs> hold, hold on sue just get it get a little deeper here do you think you have a fear of jumping out of your current job and your current situation because you'll like it too much and you'll lose the band thing you'll lose like your love of playing music as much no here's why if i were 25 and you're asking me this question maybe the answer would be different but like look how much longer is this band shit gonna last realistically (laughs) and am i ever gonna get another chance to do this shit fuck no no this is it i'm driving this band shit until it dies good good it'll eventually end and like i keep waiting for it to end maybe it will now that coronavirus happened or something i don't know like we were supposed to do that big tour that didn't happen and i already had asked for like time off like without pay that i was gonna need to take to do that tour and then the tour got canceled like after the request had like already gone through and stuff I had to like work without getting paid. <laughs> really? They made it up the next paycheck. You know what I mean? But like, oh, oh, okay. So you just didn't get physically paid that week. Not like, not like we have an OSHA problem. Right. 
And like, since like, luckily, like I'm not somebody that like is living entirely paycheck to paycheck. It wasn't that big of a deal. The band, I don't like lose that much. I'm not going to fucking make a spreadsheet. <laughs> like how much money do I like lose being in the band? Eh, it's probably, it, it, it might break even, you know, but, but like, it's not whatever. Like we're not here to talk about the band. Sue, do you have a complex about being comfortable financially? How about this? I'm really bad with money. It gives me like huge anxiety to like, even like have to think about it. <laughs> so like, you know how like you go to the 18th, and you type in your pin and you're like, hmm, are 20 is going to come out of this or are they not going to come out of this? And then you hear, you hear it go like, and you're like, yes, okay. <laughs> Wait, and you're not a drummer? Yeah. <laughs> I make decent money at my job and I have health insurance and all that stuff. I've also pretty much always, well, not since like, Right after 9-11 was I like seriously fucking broke. And I was living in New York and I was like, oh my God, all my freelance jobs like dried up like overnight. Ever since then, I've like worked at companies because I realized that like I'm not good at like dealing with my own shit financially at all. I am like so happy for someone to take care of that for me, like pay my taxes for me because I can't be trusted to do it myself because I, I, I have terrible anxiety. I like, ugh, I don't want to like, oh, I get a bill. I don't want to open it. Even though I know I have money, can it just like get paid without me like knowing how much money I have? I don't know. It's weird it makes me really nervous <laughs> do you think that your punk rock stuff has caused this or is this just like a class thing or it's just like you grew up with this it sounds a little bit deeper than just you know you went to many like you know crusty shows or something uh no 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 the crust the crustiness thing has very little to do with my like fucking weirdo shit aren't any of you guys like bad with money like nervous about it <laughs> like oh, yeah. i'll tell you who's bad with money freddie alva <laughs> I didn't hear the first one. I just heard Freddie Alva. It's funny enough. Who's Freddie Alva? He did ABC Nereo booking and then he ran reconstruction record stuff, but it's like... Was he bad with money? No, he, he's a little bit too good with money. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, wasn't good with our pay. he wasn't good with paying us when we played. That's right. Yeah, he definitely wasn't good at paying us. Oh, sure, 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 sure. I don't know. It, it's like, that's another reason I, I don't want to like go into like management at work and stuff in academia right you like get up like one level higher from me and you have to start thinking about shit like grant and fuck that i'm sorry i'm gonna stop the conversation for one second and tell you if you enjoyed this conversation there's tons more where this came from for only five dollars a month you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month want to help out with some gas money to get us the next show we have merch and more at killedbydesk.com now let's get back to the show have you, wait, have you actually ever tried it, though? Begging for money for a living? No. I mean, you're calling it that. <laughs> it just seems so tedious, and hard. I see, like, my boss is getting all stressed out about this stuff, and I don't know. Who knows? Like, I guess, like, I could attempt to, I don't even know, like, what, like, writing proposals and grants. Ugh, God, yuck. I don't know. Here's what I think, Sue. What? What if you combined your loves and you got like an animatronic band, like the Rockafire Explosion, like the old <laughs> pizza bands, but you program them to play the songs that you want to play, and then you're the only living member. And then you don't have to worry about money because you can just charge whatever you want. You don't have to worry about COVID because you're not close to anyone. Yeah. Uh, I feel like if you combine those two things, you could really, you could go, probably still go on Warp Tour. Yeah. You know what? That's a great idea. It would never work it's for me, like though. Archies. <laughs> yeah, right? It, it is like the Archies, but it's... But, like, I can't do anything by myself. That's my other problem. Like, <laughs> like I'm a team you know player. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got this email where they were asking for somebody to nominate, like, teachers of the year. So I put in Max Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I have a fundraising thing that happened to me. I was at work and Tom Lehrer sent a $10,000 donation in, like just mailed it. No one asked him. And I got really excited and everyone was like, I don't know who that is. Wait, isn't he? He's from NPR, right? He's the he's the singing mathematician guy. Oh, I guess I don't know who he is either. <laughs> uh, you ever watch The Electric Company when you were a kid? Yeah. Like, you know, L-Y and Silent E? Yeah, of course. That's him. No shit. Dude, you're show. thinking of Brian Lehrer. I'm thinking. Yeah, 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 yes, you're thinking of, of Brian Lehrer. Brian Lehrer. Brian Lehrer. Really that's not yeah. Dry. That's Dr. Demento. Really dry middle like yeah, midday. Exactly, exactly. Tom Tom Lehrer has definitely been on Doctor Demento. Yeah, Tom Tom Lehrer is one of the main people that Demento plays. I don't know why we're all that's just not mishearing. the guy from NPR though, right? No, I, I Brian Lehrer. I just heard Tom Arayo was on was on Doctor Demento, and that would be awesome. What? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, anyway, the assistant was like, "Bill, if you want to take the train up to Boston and ask him for more money, we'll like make a budget for you." What? No. Oh. He's like ninety. I was just afraid, like, like be out of it, and it would like ruin it for me. Yeah. You'd probably be pretty good at begging people for money. I don't know. Dave has it in his name. What? Dave has it in his name. Harrison. Harrison. Harrison David. No, Dave Supplicant. I'm not making this up, am I? That's messed up, man. You know what? Like. I put that in my computer. Like I used to call Dave Dave Supplicant. My first because I didn't know his last name. Teenage Supplicants, yeah, and that's what that's when I met you, Bill. Yeah, and it still says Dave Supplicant. <laughs> you also still use my old email address that I don't use anymore. <laughs> Is it like Dave Supplicant at AOL? <laughs> <laughs> no, my AOL forwards to my Gmail. Oh boy. Okay, <laughs> I need to fix that. <laughs> So you were a teenage supplicant? I was. Well, I so it's funny. I named my band after a letter to the editor about George Tab that Jesse and his friend Sam also f- made a zine called Supplicant off of the same letter. What? That's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yo, that's crazy. Sam Goldman? Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he had a he had a he had a uh what was his um what was his column called? Suburban Ennui? Oh god. No, it was suburban something. It was yeah, Ennui, right. I think. I would bet on that. Hold on. Okay. Does Sam does Sam hang out with Tom Lehrer? No. But Sam Sam did just have a really good tweet that if Trump leaves the White House playing Sid Vicious my way, he'll forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could I could back that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hold on. If you're managing a person, then your his life is in your hands. You don't find that attractive? <laughs> what? Oh my god, no. I mean, like I ca- I can't imagine like having to like discipline somebody or like yell at them because they're doing a bad job. You know what I mean? Like, ugh, god, no way. Way too non-confrontational. You know? It says to me like you're not a real bass player. What? It says to me like you're not a real bass player. You're just a guitar player who's playing bass right now. I'd say that's pretty accurate. <laughs> What's what's funny to me is you said, you know, you wouldn't want to have to deal with grants and all that stuff, but what's different between begging for money that way and trying to get people to come see your band? You know, it's like you're kind of begging for a grant for every show you play. I mean, you're absolutely fucking right. I hate that part of being in a band. Begging people to come to your shows and begging people to listen to your band and stuff like that. We'll do it if I have to, but if somebody else wants to do it in the band, they should do it. Turns out that I somehow got into a band where somebody actually really likes doing that bullshit with the money. 
and is also really good at it. So it kind of is awesome. I realize I will have to go back to the like, you know, begging people to come to my show at some point, but I am enjoying the vacation. So I mean, it sounds to me like your band piece is a little bit like work, right? Sometimes you're playing that bass line. And you're not exactly sure what it's doing. Um, you know what? <laughs> Fuck you. I know we're not really talking about the band, but, you know, joining War on Women playing bass was really crazy, different experience as a musician for me because it was like playing in a different tuning and playing like all of this, like, like a lot of like weird, like kind of like way more thrashy stuff than I was used to, you know, and also like just really not Sue music. You know what I mean? You already had the experience of trying to follow Dave Lentz's timing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I helped your career. Yeah. Dave Willens, there's like one other person I can think of that just had their own clock going in their head. It has something to do with like Einstein's special relativity or something like that, the way that they count. <laughs> but Dave Willens, like... Did you ever have to watch anybody do a split like that at your job in John Hopkins? Wait, say that one more time? Did you ever have to watch anybody do a split? Oh, do I ever have to do a split? Um, (laughs) I think that that's a title nine violation actually. So probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I mean, doesn't Judas Priest still do some splits? Uh, You know what? It's possible that fucking Rod Elfer rode a motorcycle out onto the stage. Okay. I mean, come on. But you can't ride a motorcycle out into your desk. (laughs) 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 Only one expensive time consuming hobby at a time is my current motto about that. Are you saying none of the phys- are you saying none of the physicists you work with are as weird as Dave Wallens? Wait, say one more one more time. None of the physicists you work with are as weird as Dave Wallens. Uh, <laughs> as weird as Dave Wallens. Oh. <laughs> uh, weird in way different ways. But like, I think some of them would probably get along pretty good with Dave Lentz, as a matter of fact. This one dude that I worked with disappeared at sea. Like yeah, forever? Uh, yeah, forever. Was he captured by pirates? He worked for Microsoft, actually. His name was Jim Gray. Basically, he was like this like total evangelist for like sharing data amongst scientific researchers back in like the early 2000s. It was like literally came up with like the stuff that like convinced astronomers to share their data. Before that, he, he, this was just a little joke he would tell. He said the concept of data mining in astronomy was the data is mine. <laughs> Charlie, I feel like we need your um, conspiracy theorist mindset here. What do you think happened to him? Yeah, well, I think he was captured by pirates. <laughs> That's not a conspiracy. <laughs> what did he say? Pirate? He said he got captured by a pirate. <laughs> That's probably likely. It's possible. I, I was just, I was thinking you were thinking, you know, like Bill Gates had him off or something. Well, maybe there's some amazing Somali pirate data mining thing going on right well, now. No, that's that's. That. I was thinking Somali pirate. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was kind of right around that time. If you think about it, I well, don't do know. You, do you think the Somali pirates are getting into hacking? Man, I mean, they probably should. They're like this boat thing's over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you guys have like seen what software looks like, right? It's like really bad. Like, yes. it's like look, really look at bad. Charlie's computer right now. That's Bill Gates' fault too. Everybody who doesn't know like how bad software is, you should be scared. Is that why you don't have a footprint really on social media and stuff? I mean, it seemed like you pretty hard to research. You know, you and I might have met once or twice through Bill, but I, I don't think I wouldn't say we know each other. So when we're getting ready for this. Usually you can find out a good deal about people through the Internet. You're kind of a ghost on that. Is that a purposeful thing? I think maybe if you spelled my name correctly, it would have been better. <laughs> 
It's Suzanne. Suzanne helps, right? But in the link here, it's like Warner W-A-R. That's not my name. I am on Facebook, but my stuff is friends only. I kind of like took a break from Facebook a while back because I think that it was like not good for my brain. I think that it was making me uh, angry and sad all the time instead of happy. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'd be like, oh, time to go to bed. Let's look at Facebook. And then I'd be like, (laughs) I have to stay up till two in the morning arguing with people I was new from high school. So I decided to take a break. I was like, I'm going to take a break on Facebook for a month and see how I feel. And I felt way better. So, you know, I'm still on it. I just don't really like go on it. Although I'm thinking about going back on it to some extent, just because like this, this whole pandemic thing is like kind of making me feel like pretty lonely. Boo-hoo. I just want to step it back for a second, Sue. You're in a band that has like a lot of political messages and things like that. You work for uh-huh. John Hopkins. I read like the Secret Life of Henrietta Lacks. Do you ever think of things like uh-huh. that around like the history of your... Like who you're working for, especially those grants, right? Who are they coming from? Does that bother you at all? Or you you haven't put any thought into it? Does it matter? Is it any different than just, you know, anything else? Yeah, I mean, certainly. The very first project that I worked on for Hopkins was very much, a lot of it was funded by the military. And it was like being housed at like a military data center in Hawaii. We had to like give them the images so they could make sure the spy satellites weren't showing up in them first. I hope I'm allowed to say that. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're not, we're not going to put this out. So we, okay. When we do it again, we can figure out what's legal. Well, and in that case, I'll tell you, and this was back in like 2008, whatever algorithm they used was so bad. So you couldn't see the spy satellites in the images, but you could see just these like terrible black streaks. <laughs> I guess, instead of the spy satellites, because they couldn't, like, remove them without leaving, like, tons of evidence that they altered the images. And I'm like, this is, like, this military-grade technology, huh? Well, shit. The one thing that I will say is that everybody I work with is, like, personally, like, really, I think, has their heads in a good place as far as political stuff. I work with a lot, lot, lot of immigrants, like, some of them in various stages of getting their green cards, and all of them are fucking terrified right now. And some of them aren't allowed to work on some of the project that we work on. And it's just, and it's just like, a little weird, because, really, it's the same fucking shit. I don't work on, like, nuclear weapons or anything like that. I feel like there probably will come a time where there is like some data that I'm using is bumping up against something that I really feel bad about, you know, and I don't know what I'm going to do at that juncture. You know what I mean? I don't know if there's like a conscientious objector, you know, <laughs> like in, you know, whatever. Or if you go on tour that three months, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, not going to be here. Or I'll just do a really shitty job on it. <laughs> <laughs> How conspiracy-minded are you? Do you think we landed on the moon? For sure, yes. I don't think I'm very conspiracy-minded. Yes, I think we landed on the moon. In fact, I would say with 100% accuracy that we landed on the moon. Did you ever try to focus the telescopes on the flag? What? Sorry? Did you ever try to focus the telescopes at Hopkins on the flag? Tell- yeah, can Wait. you see the flag on the moon? The flag? Can, and you, the- point the- can you get a- get one of the telescopes? Oh, man. I don't think any of the ones that I work on. All of the ones that I work on are pointed towards real deep space. They have to avoid the moon. Really, like, there's, like, really complicated fucking algorithms that, that decide where it's going to point every night just because the moon will be too bright and it'll make a useless image. Tori, are you implying that there's a conspiracy to keep the telescope away from the moon? Yeah. Are you, Is there a black mark over the moon? Yeah. Somebody else asked, I couldn't hear who, about, do you think we're living in a computer simulation? Now that, I think, is an interesting question. (laughs) And I think that it is likely. Really? (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, I do. What makes you think that besides movies? I'll tell you one thing. And this is totally from my own brain and not doesn't have anything to do with like my job or anything. Okay, the term deja vu, right? So it's a French word, describes like a concept that we all are somewhat familiar with. But deja vu didn't like really show up in any writings or anything until I think it was like the 1860s, okay? Now, is that weird? Because I know it's hard to like explain, but there's not even any like real descriptions of it, of like people experiencing it. There's like some like shit from medieval times or whatever, the Dark Ages, like, oh, people feeling like they've gone back to a time before or something, but it's not really the same thing, right? But after this term deja vu like gets into the lexicon, that starts being something everybody notices. There's a term for it. Just because I know how computers work, right? And I feel like getting a pointer in memory mixed up off by one or off by 10 or something, right? I mean, it's is a, real, a real common error that happens, right? What would it look like if like your freaking stack pointer in your brain gets like off by 10 and it's like pointing to like a wrong location for a couple minutes? I feel like that's what it would be like. My idea is there was a software patch that got applied to the simulation around the 1860s that started to cause this effect sometimes. Anyway, so that's why I think we live in a computer simulation. Well, isn't that kind of like the Mandela effect? Have you, have you read about the Mandela effect at all? Yeah, like the Berenstain Bears and stuff. Yes, and they think that all happened when somehow we veered off of our current reality and went into an alternate. Honestly, I think that, I don't know, I'm not like so into the, the physics that is too hard for me to understand, you know, with this stuff. But that is my like, honestly, like I know you said, what's your evidence for this, but not for movies. But I guess that's it's like sort of from the Matrix bill. Getting back to pirates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm building on this, too. I'm building on this. I am not discounting you. I am encouraging you here. So the first thing I thought of when you said, like, everything came from that, someone inventing that term, and then all of a sudden everyone felt it and it never existed before, almost all pirate lore comes directly from Treasure Island. And Treasure Island was written right around the same time. I kind of wonder if Robert Louis Stevenson was huh. involved in this software patch. Huh. And he threw his own pirate lore in there. I and mean, that's, that's what happened to your coworker. <laughs> you discovered the truth. <laughs> oh my God. Wait a minute. Bill, I love this idea. Go to look at his locker and see if there's a hook in there. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've just discovered the Werner principle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This deja vu thing, I was like working with in a meeting or something with one of my coworkers who's Dutch, right? And I was like, oh shit, I just got deja vu. Because, you know, sometimes you do, right? I Sometimes I feel compelled to say it out loud, even though nobody gives a shit. Then I was like, hey, what's the word for deja vu in Dutch? And he was like, oh, deja vu. And then I was like, oh, yeah, well, okay. So and then I asked a bunch of like my Chinese coworkers, right? And my Hungarian coworkers. And, like, it's, I mean, at least the most common way to describe it is this French word, which is not a little weird. I don't know. I, I mean, I think my theory for that would be the 1860s is right before the Industrial Revolution. So how do you have deja vu if every day is exactly the same? If you wake up huh, at sunrise yeah. and you go till your land and you go do whatever you're going to do, like you can't have deja vu if you're living in a world where you live the same day over and over again for 25 years and then you die. That is a good point. And another thing that might go into that is like regular ass people didn't like write a 
about their feelings. So like... It's really interesting. And what you're dealing with is people's brains weren't as taxed as they are now. If the true definition of deja vu is, or the true reason it happens is that your synapses are misfiring in your brain, it's because we're stressed out, because we're forced to remember too much data. If Mm. you look at our brains as computers, we're probably way, way overtaxing them. So of course, weird shit's going to happen. That's pretty interesting. Do you think that like around like the industrial revolution or so shit started to like evolve so fast like in the world that it's possible that people's brains had to come up with some hacky solution to deal with it that's actually really interesting well that would be the problem with everything right because you think about it, you think about like, we used religion for so many years. So, you know, it wasn't, oh, this is an eclipse and this can be easily explained by science. It's God is angry. We better kill someone real quick to make sure that he's happy. <laughs> he doesn't destroy our crops. And then as we started to understand science, I mean, to think we went from the Wright brothers to the space program in what, 60 years. That's an insane jump. And even looking at computers now, I mean, you're at the forefront of that stuff. You know, my dad worked in telecommunications and I remember him always talking about it. And he's like, listen, he's like, I would know so much more if so much of my brain wasn't filled up with obsolete technology that doesn't even matter anymore. Oh, you know what? Like, I was thinking about that when you were talking before about like, you know, how our brains weren't evolved to deal with all this data. But the thing is like, you could also look at it like, I feel like my brain doesn't deal with so much data anymore. When was the last time I fucking memorized something? Probably a song for my band because I don't go out there with sheet music if I can avoid it. You know, you used to like remember like a hundred telephone numbers, directions of how to get places. There's a lot of evidence around one complementing the other. Like Albert Einstein played the violin every day. Yeah. Right. So maybe you're actually really well balanced here and you might not be as good at your job if you didn't go to band practice after as well. I think that there's something to that. I really feel like there's something really similar about being good at coding or whatever. It's like coding is like how good you are at guitar. Coding in Python, right, is like how good you are at guitar versus like understanding like how a system works, how you understand a song works. I get better at Python the more I code in it. If I start to not code in it that much, then I have to start looking more and more stuff up on the internet. Kind of just like guitar, I'll like fucking forget how to play like some riff or some type of chord. You know what I mean? I'll have to go back to my note. Recognizing patterns is the thing that makes people good at music and computer stuff, you know, like at least as a player, you know what I mean? Maybe not as a creative genius. I'm definitely not like a creative genius, like songwriter or, or coder. You know what I mean? I think I'm like good at what I do. I know I'm, I'm not like fucking Steve Jobs or whatever, or like fucking Ingvay Baumstein. <laughs> that was the best guitar player I could think of at the moment. Speaking of noticing patterns, You mentioned something about obsolete technology. Charlie, didn't Sander edit the OS2 magazine once? He was the editor. Yes, he did. (laughs) Do you have have any experience with OS2, Sue? So I used to have a lot of subscriptions to computer magazines. And I remember OS2 like being really, they had a lot of devoted fans. I think like in the, in the time before Windows 95, there was like Windows 3.1 and then there was OS2, which was the other like gooey OS that you could run on a fucking PC computer or PC computer, you know, whatever. Could do multitasking in it, allegedly. Well, someone on that OS2 team ended up in the middle of the water somewhere, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Somali pirates. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the 
mobile operating systems was based on OS. I think it was like Palm OS, maybe. I'll have to look into that a little bit, if I remember correctly. Like one of those ones. Didn't the bass player from Iron Butterfly disappear? And he was, I remember that Unsolved Mysteries. He was like a, a programmer and he disappeared and he was working on something crazy and then they... They didn't find his car forever. No shit. I think these guys are working on the software that Sue mentioned that was running our, our world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once they put the patch in, they get buried. You know, Robert Louis Stevenson's like treasure chest is filled <laughs> with programmers' bodies. <laughs> oh my God. I love this idea of Robert Louis Stevenson like being the architect of like, our current reality. <laughs> I think that's amazing. More of a Rudyard Kipling fan, actually. <laughs> I wish it was him. <laughs> He's more of a primitivist, though. I think that's kind of against his brand. I just like the lack of vowels in his name. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that like I like H.G. Wells' idea of so funny when you when you like look at like the time machine or whatever basically the future is basically like Victorian culture just like 100,000 years later but it's basically exactly the same as they still have like neoclassical sculptures everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like if you read 50 sci-fi everything still gets printed out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's always like a piece of paper there anyway. Did did you ever see a uh... Gomez Adams walking around the campus there at John Hopkins. Oh, no, but like my building is like in a weird corner where I don't see anybody. <laughs> well, I thought that's where they put the Adams family. Yeah. Wait, do you actually work like in a server bay or something? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I actually work in the Bloomberg building, which is like where, where like your ma- oh, he's not the mayor anymore, right? I don't even know what the hell's going on in New York. Joe's the mayor. Yeah, well, yeah. He made Bloomberg look like he was a good mayor. Sure. That's what. Well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Bloomberg's an alum, though. Yeah, and like he gave like a billion dollars to the school or something like that. And he didn't give anything to New York schools. Yeah, I bet. there you go. Took all all our money and sent it to guy dang Maryland. <laughs> My office isn't like nice though. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's fine. You know, it's fine. Not with me. It's not fine. <laughs> it's not, Cooper Union supposed to be free, and now now they're charging money, and people yeah. like Cooper go to freaking uh, gave to that endowment instead of giving it to the rich freaking bastards that shot up. <laughs> Anyway, so not Bloomberg. Which, what's your favorite John Hopkins alum? Tommy Newsom, Wes Craven, or Woodrow Wilson? <laughs> Shoot, I, like I didn't even know. I didn't even know that that Wes Craven was was a Hopkins alum. Like that's that's God, that's awesome. What I thought Woodrow Wilson went to Princeton. He did, but then he he got his like PhD or something at Johns Hopkins, like political science or something like that. Anyway, I would absolutely say Wes Craven for sure. I'll make you a bet there was no such thing as political science when Woodrow Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess he has the chance to rewrite the history books. He invented it, right? The League of Nations, whatever. Anyway. Did you have a crush on Wes Craven? At one time, me no. Oh uh, no, because I went. I went to this uh, West Craven art exhibit, and he was there. And these like three girls were like, I went with these three girls. So they had like a big crush on him, which is a waste of time. I don't even know what he what he looks like. Is he cute? No, that's not a common crush. At all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is like in like 1990. Maybe okay. he looked a little bit better then. Yeah, I don't know. Google image search that shit. Um. <laughs> That's it, kids. The gig is up. The cops are here and your mom is going jails, hospitals, and all your friends' houses wondering where you've been. 
tune in next week for another fascinating, mesmerizing, and absolutely unmissable episode. And be sure to get on the list and follow the boys on social media at Killed by Desk. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon. And if you enjoyed this conversation, there's tons more where this came from. For only $5 a month, you can get full episodes with each of our guests for a total of five episodes per month. Want to help us out with some gas money and to get us to the next show? We have merch and more at KilledByDesk.com. Come